All right, and that brings us to 1921, Warren G. Harding, the Republican president with Calvin Coolidge as vice president. He was only president for less than three years. Um, now, Harding met Nan Britton, a smitten 12-year-old, while he was running his newspaper, The Marion Star. Okay, he wins. Hmm? He wins. He's the nastiest bastard. <laughs> Oh, he is so fucking nasty. This guy never turned down a piece of ass. Oh my God. I can't believe we hear about like Kennedy and Clinton and even Trump, but we don't hear about Harding, even his name, Harding. <laughs> so, so he was running his newspaper, The Marion Star, and he met Nan Britton, a smitten 12-year-old. He began dating her while he was in the Senate. She bore a secret love child by him while he was running for president. The romance continued through his presidency involving Tristan hat closets while he cheated on his wife and other places in the White House. Wasn't his wife dying of, like, kidney disease or something? Yeah, so she was kind of, you know, like, party pooper. (laughs) Yeah, you can't blame the guy. Nothing's more depressing than a dying wife. Yeah. After marrying Florence, his dying wife, um, who was 10 years his senior... As an Ohio senator, Harding's friend Jim Phillips has a breakdown after his wife, Carrie, loses a child. Harding arranges for Jim to go to a sanitarium and then begins a 15-year-long affair with his wife. So now he's got at least two in the chamber. Cha-ching! As an Ohio senator, he made it his business to do nothing, while more (laughs) active legislators dealt with unhappy delegates and ruined careers. Um, The Ohio Senate was full of corruption. People liked Harding for not trashing other Republicans, because infighting was really typical then. Not only was the country tearing itself apart, politicians were tearing each other apart. Um, Dirty campaigns were just the norm. So in his 1914 run for the Senate, people were like, oh, Harding's pretty cool. You know, I never hear him trashing the other Republicans in his party. And anybody who pretty much did anything active in politics at that time It was highly risky. The best strategy, and this is what Harding did, was to just do nothing. Stay in the back of the pack and let the people in the front of the pack get picked off. And then choose your moment when they're all picked off and then like, okay, I'll do it. I'll be president. In 1920, this is when Harding was running for president, Americans were weary of Wilson's idealism. They were war-weary after World War I, and they were ready for Harding's Return to normalcy. This is his campaign (laughs) slogan. And this kind of foreshadowed, make America great again, which is to say mediocrity. Now, isn't it interesting, all the way back in 1920, people are feeling nostalgic. They're imagining a time that was normal, that was uh, better. When was that? Yeah, that's why my question now, <laughs> that was my question then. As I'm going through history, when the fuck was this golden age? Amnesia. You know, so back then they're like, oh man, things are crazy. Like, 1920, the end is near. Let's return to normalcy. The first world war had just happened. A world war. Imagine that, the first one. The whole world's at war. <clears throat> Must have seemed like the apocalypse to them. Harding sought ways to expand U.S. economic interest in Latin America without the heavy-handed threats and violence of former presidents, like McKinley. He had to fight off scandals, rumors of his affairs and indiscretions, and a much worse rumor that he had black ancestry. This is the same thing that got charged against Jackson so many years ago. Um, They said that about him when he was running for president. Oh, yeah? Well, I think he's got a Negro as a grandfather. He's a mulatto. Um, So this was like the worst thing you could say. Also in this time, like, you know, that was the biggest charge against him that he had to, like, uh, 
redeem his reputation from. That year, during the presidential campaign, when his opponent's vice president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, said that as Secretary of the Navy, he'd personally written the Constitution of Haiti. Harding said that he would not empower an assistant secretary of the Navy to draft a constitution for helpless neighbors in the West Indies and jam it down their throats at the point of bayonets borne by United States Marines. Also alluding to Wilson, he continues, Nor will I misuse the power of the executive to cover with a veil of secrecy repeated acts of unwarranted interference in domestic affairs of the little republics of the Western Hemisphere, such as in the last few years have not only made enemies of those who should be our friends, but have rightfully discredited our country as their trusted neighbor. Well, it turns out Harding actually made more friends among the U.S. bankers than with the Little Republics, as he helped bankers rule through puppet governments backed by U.S. troops. So the same old shit. You know, people are getting rich, and the governments in South America are a joke. They're the people that we have played politics and gotten elected, and they're backed by our guns and our military forces because there's so many people willing to sign up to freaking do it. 1920 that same year. As the election's coming to a close, Connecticut Senator and Convention Delegate Frank B. Brandigy of the set of the elections. There ain't any first-raters this year. we got a lot of second-raters, and Warren Harding is the best of the second-raters. <laughs> so, woo-hoo, great choices there. Jared Cohen, in his book Accidental President, says, Harding's pro-business administration proved to be a corrupt throwback to the Grant administration. And man, he won't just whistle in Dixie, as they say. <laughs> so much corruption under Harding. In 1921, to give you a pulse of the country, we have the Tulsa race riot in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is the first year that Harding is president. Whites use guns and explosives. Some of these explosives were dropped from private aircraft on Black Wall Street, the wealthiest black community in the U.S. at the time. What? 150 to 200 blacks and 50 whites were killed, maybe more than 800 injured, and 35 square blocks destroyed. This has been called the single worst incident of racial violence in U.S. history. I mean, my God, this was all out war. There were bombs being dropped by aircraft. Holy shit. does that? (laughs) Rich people. Rich people. That same year, we've got the Battle of Blair Mountain in Logan County, West Virginia. 10,000. Armed coal miners fought against 3,000 lawmen and strikebreakers for five days. 50 to 100 were killed, 985 arrested. It was the largest labor uprising in U.S. history and the largest armed uprising since the Civil War. So here we've got the worst racial violence and the biggest armed uprising in U.S. history in the first year of uh, Harding's presidency. Next year, in 1922, we go on to the Perry Race Riot in Perry, Florida. After Ruby Hendry, a white schoolteacher, was murdered, several thousand whites burned Charles Wright, a 21-year-old escaped con, at the stake and collected souvenirs. In other words, they cut off his testicles, they cut off body parts, his ears, and kept them as souvenirs. Real charming guys. Wow, souvenirs like that. Yeah. Hey, look, little Timmy, here's my uh, scrotum from a black man that we tore apart. Woohoo! Woo! The mob shot and hanged two more black men, burned the town's black school, Masonic Lodge, church, amusement hall, and several families' homes. Sound like the kind of guys who want his neighbors. That same year, we've got the Heron Massacre in Heron, Illinois. 18 strike breakers and 
Three strikers, one superintendent and one union miner were killed during a nationwide strike. Nationwide. Again, you know, just everybody like, fuck it, we got to work together, we got to stop this shit. We're fighting this new way of life that's being pushed on us. Working at the factories, clocking in, giving the hours of our precious lives away for bullshit so we can scrape by. People like, you know, we're just taught the Industrial Revolution. People kind of embrace this new golden age. But that's not what it'll look like at all. We have, like, people all over the place that don't want it. The only people that like it are the rich bastards. (laughs) And that same year, um, I guess there's just so much violence in the air, what the hell. There's the Straw Hat Riot in New York City. This was a series of riots that spread due to men wearing straw hats past the unofficial date that was deemed socially acceptable. Oh my god. So with everything else going on, let's fight about straw hats because that's not cool anymore. You're not cool and you need a punch in the face. What date was that? 1922. Oh, you don't have a date though? No. It wasn't like after Labor Day or something? Nah, I didn't bother with a date. I'm just trying to describe the year at the moment. (laughs) They say not to wear white after Labor Day. Also in 1922, the Nation magazine reports, There are or were 20 independent republics to the south of us. Five at least, Cuba, Panama, Santo Domingo, Haiti, and Nicaragua, have already been reduced to the state of colonies, with at most a degree of rather fictitious self-government. Four more, Guatemala, Honduras, Costa Rica, and Peru, appear to be in process of reduction to the same status. How far is this to go? Is the United States to create a great empire in this hemisphere? An empire over which Congress and the American people exercise no authority? An empire ruled by a group of Wall Street bankers at whose disposal the state and Navy departments graciously place their resources? These are the questions which the people, the plain people, whose sons die of tropic fever or of a patriot's bullet have a right to ask. Well, they ask how far is it to go. I guess we know the answer to that now, don't we? (laughs) Alice Roosevelt Longworth. And who'd you say she was? Theodore Roosevelt's child from his first marriage. Yeah. So she said of Harding, Harding was not a bad man. He was just a slob. She also wrote, It was rather shocking to see the way Harding disregarded the Constitution he was sworn to uphold. Harding kept... This is me talking now. Hardem kept bad company and twice a week gathered his poker cabinet at the north end of the White House library. So this is kind of where he conducted his presidential meetings. They'd sit around and play poker and get drunk during Prohibition. (laughs) (coughs) Harding was a compulsive gambler. When he ran out of money, he'd bet dishes, jewelry, and other valuables. He kept a bar at the poker table and was widely known for breaking the Prohibition law. Everybody knew it. It was like the worst kept secret in Washington. Like, you know, while he's making everybody else go to jail, if they want to get a drink, he's fucking slamming them back. And if you're buddies with Harding, you can get as drunk as you want. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, that's bad. <laughs> During a meeting with the president of the Railway Employees Department of the American Federation of Labor. Now, let me repeat that. That is a hell of a title. <laughs> he was the president of the Railway Employees Department of the American Federation of Labor, Bert Jewell. Over the 1922 mining and railroad strikes, Harding downed several shots of whiskey while he's meeting with this guy from a bottle on his desk, and he got so drunk he couldn't even speak. My goodness. Among his many affairs, the many women he was sleeping with, he was alleged to have slept with a German spy during World War I while he was a congressman. So who knows what information she got out of him. Oh, my God. 
Um, he was also involved in what was known as the Teapot Dome Scandal. It was considered the greatest political scandal in history before Watergate. Interior Secretary Albert Fall exploited his position um, to safeguard three oil fields for possible shortages. So in case there was a shortage of oil, these oil fields were to be protected. Um, he used his position to get rich in 1921, and that busted out mainly after uh, Harding's death. In 1923, Harding's last year as president, Jess Smith commits suicide 10 weeks after a top official from the Veterans Bureau, Charles Kramer. So there's so much corruption happening under Harding that people are getting in over their head. They're realizing that stuff's about to be uncovered, and they're about to go down, and they're dying. Now, I say dying instead of committing suicide. I don't know much about Charles Kramer, but... I read up on Jess Smith. Now, this guy was a character. He used to be in the fashion industry, so he would dress very flamboyantly. He would wear his hat kind of cocked on his head, and he was known for saying, like, when people would walk up to him, they'd they'd say he was a spitter. So when when he talked, he'd just spit all over the place. They'd say, you need an umbrella to talk to this guy. And he'd say, what do you know? And then he'd uh, whistle, God, I love it when the money rolls in, or some kind of song back then. He'd start whistling about how he loved money. Um, <laughs> both of these men that died, supposedly committed suicide, were part of what was called the Ohio Gang. Um, so when Harding took office, he brought all of his friends with him, and they were known as the Ohio Gang. They were really corrupt. Smith, Jess Smith, had no official position, but he was the chief fixer for the gang. In all the like meetings that the president had, the most secure meetings of the nation, this guy, Jess, Jess Smith, would just be there. He had no official position. He was just the guy that, like, if you wanted booze, you wanted women, you wanted something, you'd be like, hey, Smith, hook me up. So he was given clearance to all this insider Washington crap just because he was the chief fixer of the Ohio gang, the guy that could get you drugs, get you whatever you wanted. They occupied a house on 8th Street owned by the owner of the Washington Post. There was booze, gambling, cash buried in the backyard, bribery, fight-fixing, smuggling, extortion, and lots of women. One woman was killed, so they actually would bring in women and they'd dance on the tables, and one night they were getting really rowdy like at 3 in the morning, and they started throwing dishes and cups, and one of the women dancing on the table gets hit in the head, and she gets knocked out cold and then dies. This was covered up by two men with roles in both the Justice Department and the Ohio gang. It's not clear whether Harding was actually present, but he was often present at these things because he couldn't turn down a piece of ass. He'd show up, get drunk, and get women. Oh, my God. This gang sold permits to shady characters to unload confiscated liquor and sell immunity to bootleggers. Sometimes they wouldn't honor it. Like the bootleggers would buy immunity, and then they'd say, "Ah, we changed our mind, but then they'd keep the money. Um... Now, when Jess Smith committed suicide, this involved a missing gun. So when they found his body, well, let me back up in the story a little bit. Jess Smith was making Harding really nervous. Harding was getting privy to all this corrupt shit happening in Washington. And Harding was kind of like, I'm not comfortable with how much this guy knows. Why don't we quietly like send him back to Ohio? And this devastated Jess Smith because he loved his position. He would always brag about it. So... He was starting to complain a little bit. Next thing you know, supposedly he commits suicide. But when they find his body, there's no gun. There's a bullet in the left side of his head, but Jess Smith is right-handed. There's no trace of gunpowder, and they would not allow an autopsy. So I think this guy got Jeffrey Epstein. 
He got suicided. Just like Jeffrey Epstein was a fixer of sorts for the powerful men of Washington. Back then it was Jess Smith. What do you know? What do you know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 1923, the same year, previ- previous secretary of the Veterans Bureau, Charles Forbes, began having sex with Harding's sister, Carolyn. He used his access to rich businessmen to make deals over bidding for veterans' hospitals. So here's guys that just got their shit blown up all over the, you know, the battlefields of these wars. They're wanting hospitals. They're fighting to get treated fairly. And here's a guy exploiting his position to get rich from that. Damn. Same old shit. Harding decided to cover this up by asking for Forbes' resignation, then shipping him off to Europe. Details leaked, which led to a Senate investigation for six months, and this investigation finished up right at the time that Harding died. That same year, we've got the Rosewood Massacre in Rosewood, Florida. I actually saw a movie about this. It was a race riot resulting in 27 to 150 blacks and two whites being killed. And yeah, you can check out that movie by that name, Rosewood. 1923, the Heart Beast goes extinct in Saharan Desert, another species dropping as industrial civilization spreads. <clears throat> 1923, Harding was getting overwhelmed from dealing with the corruption in its administration, the Veterans Bureau, the Navy and Interior Departments, and covering his tracks whenever possible. Everywhere he looked, there was like something about to bust out. People were about to find out about his affairs, about the corruption. He kept trying to bury stuff. They kept trying to cover it up, but it was too much. It was like coming apart at the seams. He told a newspaper editor, William Allen White, my God, this is a hell of a job. I have no trouble with my enemies. I can take care of my enemies all right, but my damn friends, my goddamn friends, White, they're the ones that keep me walking the floor nights. So when he brought all of his buddies, they just started doing whatever the fuck they wanted to at Washington. Talk about a political party. I think they misunderstood what that means. Or maybe they didn't. Oh, my God. That same year, Harding asked Commerce Secretary Herbert Hoover, If you knew of a great scandal in our administration, would you, for the good of the country and the party, expose it publicly? Or would you bury it? Harding said exposing it might be politically dangerous. According to Herbert Hoover, and of course this is according to Herbert Hoover, he said, well, I would expose it, of course, because at least then you get the, uh, the, the reputation of the guy who tried to do the right thing at the end. Who knows what Herbert Hoover really said? He might have said something more like, uh, is this about me? <laughs> Nothing. So Harding was the first president to visit Alaska. Wait, His... He just asked him and then was just like, I just wanted to know what you thought. Huh? The, the President of the United States asked Herbert Hoover. Like, yeah, what would you do about that? And, uh, you know, a little bit later, Herbert Hoover, you know, asked more questions, but then he just clammed up. He didn't say anything. He's like, oh, nothing, nothing, you know, it's just curious. Hypothetical. Hypothetically. <laughs> At this point, his health was really starting to go downhill. Um, and he had this trip planned to be the first president of Alaska. To go to, to, go to Alaska. Yeah. And, uh. So he didn't want to cancel that trip, even though people were starting to counsel him, like, I don't think you're up for this. So he goes up there and visits Alaska, and on his way back from Alaska, he was riding aboard the USS Henderson. They get down to Seattle, Washington, and it's a really foggy day, and they're being escorted by these uh, destroyer ships and even, like, aircraft. One of the destroyer ships, the Xylan, in the fog... Um, goes off course a little bit and crashes into the boat that Harding is on. And the crash is so destructive that even though the the Henderson was okay, they did a little bit of repair, the Xylan had to be towed to shore to avoid sinking. 
As soon as the crash happened, the bump, Harding retreats to his stateroom and just collapses on his bed face down and motionless. When a valet told him what had happened, he walks in and Harding's like, what's going on? And the valet tells him. Harding responded in a muffled voice with his head in his hands. I hope the boat sinks. (laughs) I bet he did. He's just done with his shit. (laughs) His boat is sinking. It is. At the end of the Alaskan trip, Harding was in such bad shape speaking to a crowd of 60,000 people at the University of Washington Stadium that he kept stammering and slurring, swaying in delirium, referring to Alaska as Nebraska. (laughs) And his hands were shaking so bad he dropped his manuscript. Herbert Hoover quickly gathered the speech to help the president recover. So (laughs) this poor bastard, he had gotten in way over his head. And before I talk more about his death, let me share my last fact, because, (laughs) wow. 1923, Harding died a beloved hero. This was before any of the scandals had broke loose, so he he died right before all this stuff, and everybody was very moved. People were watching from rooftops. It was said this was the most uh, moving death since Lincoln. Um, So... The Coolidge family allowed his widow, Florence, an extra week in the White House, which she spent burning and destroying documents. So she was like, can I have an extra week, you know, just to recover? And the Coolidge family's like, okay, we'll stay in a hotel. Suddenly, in warm weather, she's got the, the fireplace cranking, and black smoke for a week is billowing out of the chimney as she's just throwing in papers in the White House uh, fireplace. She's just destroying all this evidence. Many scandals came to light after Harding's death, to which Coolidge and members of the Ohio gang um, responded by throwing Harding, who was now dead, under the bus. So anything that did come to light, they were like, eh, Harding, I didn't know anything about it, that was Harding. Harding's official cause of death was stroke, but Florence was also suspected of poisoning him, since she aggressively refused an autopsy. All the doctors present agreed to sign the death certificate attributing death to the same illness, though there was strong disagreement... And one of the doctors, Dr. Sawyer, insisted that Harding fell ill due to bad crab meat, though no one else who ate the crab got sick. Ooh. So you can just imagine this kind of stewing in Dr. Sawyer's head like, wow, this is kind of weird. Like nobody else got sick, but these are all the, the symptoms of somebody who ate something bad. <laughs> and, you know, I can imagine him putting the pieces together. And guess what? Sawyer died a year later under similar circumstances while Florence was visiting him. No! Oh, that bitch. Yeah. So oh, she like was getting her husband back from all the booty he got. Yeah, and then like to cover her tracks, it sounds like she might have killed the fucking doctor. Oh my god. I mean, this is like soap opera 101. So Harding, wow. holy shit, this is when a gangster apparently took over the white well, one of many, but <laughs> my god. Harding. <laughs> 